older brother, my dear friend, thank you for mentioning that you babysat me. You're a great babysitter. I definitely wasn't traumatized. Um, really so good to be here. So good to see uh, many of your faces. Can't believe it's already been a year uh, since I've last come and visit. Um, time has flown. And so uh, before we open God's word, uh, glad to give you a brief report on how your daughter church is doing. Got some pictures to share up there. Uh, last September, uh, we were able to launch our family groups, which is our church's version of CGs, our small groups, and um, had um, over 90 people in seven family groups uh, start. So really incredible. Um, and just a couple months ago, on our one-year anniversary, uh, we were able to induct our first members. Uh, inducted over 40, inducted 48 adults and 14 children as our very first members. So really amazing to be on this journey. Um, just a quick personal update. I know that uh, some of you guys have been praying for me over the last year, uh, which was probably like the most um, uh, physically difficult year uh, I, I've gone through. Um, and so thank you for your prayers. Uh, definitely felt them. Uh, thankfully, uh, I'm in a lot better place uh, physically. Uh, so thank you. Uh, from the bottom of our hearts uh, to the session staff um, and members, uh, for your love, prayer, and support uh, for me and my family, and most importantly, your daughter church. If you have your Bibles, please turn with me to the last book of the Bible. We're reading from Revelation chapter 7, verses, 7, uh, verses 9 through 17. So chapter 7, verses 9 through 17, as we re read about a topic I was given uh, to speak about today, uh, church planting churches. So starting from verse 9, starting from verse nine uh, this is God's holy and infallible word. After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number, from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, with palm branches in their hands, crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures, and they fell on their faces before the throne and worshiped God, saying, Amen. Blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Then one of the elders addressed me, saying, Who are these clothed in white robes, and from where have they come? I said to him, Sir, you know. And he said to me, these are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Therefore, they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will shelter them with his presence. They shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more. The sun shall not strike them, nor any scorching heat. For the Lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd he will guide them to springs of living water, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. When we experience something good, the way that we're wired, we want to share it. It's only because of sin, when things like selfishness kicks in, laziness and apathy, that we end up hoarding it to ourselves. We end up keeping it to ourselves. You know, think about um, the young girl gifted the toy that she's always wanted. Immediately, she's elated with joy, generously shares it with her siblings until the selfishness kicks in and she yanks it 
from her brothers. And we're all like this. We're all like this. But when you truly experience grace, it frees you up to give it out. And so what we're going to consider today is that the vision of the gospel compels us to give grace out through our churches, planting churches. And so as we look at our passage, we're going to reflect on three things, the work, the wonder, and the worth. First, the work of church planting. As I mentioned, Revelation is the last book we have in the Bible, and it's a letter that the Apostle John wrote uh, when he was an old man imprisoned for sharing the gospel and planting churches all across Asia. And in this letter, we, uh, we see a number of visions that he saw and records for us. In our passage, uh, we see a vision of a future snapshot of heaven, maybe sometime near the very end of history, and it describes one of the most brilliant pictures of worship that we have. And what makes it so amazing isn't the music or the bands or the vocalists. It's the people. People gathered for Jesus. Verse 9 says, There was a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and people, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. John sees a multitude so vast it was impossible to number. Um, in every direction, they stretch out as far as the eye can see. And what you notice, like the first thing that John lists in this list of attributes of the people um, is that every nation is first on the list. Not Israel, uh, but, but every nation. Um, you see, from cover to cover, uh, what we see in the Bible is that God loves all the nations of the earth. Doesn't matter what the color of your skin is or whether you have a green card or citizenship or even if you're here illegally, which might be controversial. Um, but whether you're a doctor or day laborer, regardless of age or gender, whatever denomination you're in or religion or philosophy uh, that you adhere to, um, that because every single person from every single nation is created in the image of God, not only giving them dignity and worth, it's what drives God's heart to reach people, that they might come home. You know, you can think of our passage like the climax of the story of all stories. From Genesis, where God created the world, then you see sin enter and brokenness spread and fracturing everything that we see with Jesus eventually coming and redeeming the world through his death and resurrection, churches being planted, and then generation after generation, your stories, and the stories of your children and grandchildren, all the way to sometime near the end of time here in Revelation. And isn't it amazing that the culmination of the story of all stories uh, is not that all the angels are ready for Jesus' beck and call, or um, that all of Jesus' accomplishments are displayed for the world to see. Or even that uh, God's standing in all his power and might and glory, what's incredible is that the story of all stories culminates with people from every kind of life, experiencing every kind of brokenness, church backgrounds, atheist backgrounds, those who lived in luxurious mansions, and those who lived in the slums, people who've been oppressed, abused, 
Slaves who've never tasted an ounce of dignity because of the color of their skin. Those who have lived, uh, never lived with a healthy, able body. And even those who've never breathed even a first breath because it was robbed from them. It's remarkable that what we see are people in all their full glory reflecting the glory and image of their maker. And it's remarkable because they're there simply like a beggar taking a dollar from someone willing to give it to them. They opened their hands to take what God gave. And so they're there with Jesus, surrounding him, thanking him, adoring him, worshiping him because they get to be with their Savior. And this is the heart of God. And this is the work of church planting, that all people will be welcomed into family. There's a, a book called The Great Dechurching that came out last year, The Great Dechurching, and the book looks into why there are so many people, why there have been so many people leaving the church in droves. And the, bo- and the book talks about uh, five categories of dechurched people that they can kind of, kind of outline out. And um, what you see is that the first category is the exvangelical. And this is a typical person that you think of uh, when you think of de-churched, right? Someone who uh, leaves the church or Christianity because of maybe abuse or deconstruction, and and so they they stomp out of the church. Uh, But then there's also the mainstream evangelical. Um, You know, think about like COVID or sports or life, convenience, just things getting in the way. Uh, This is a person that just kind of, just kind of stops going to church just because. And then there are cultural Christians. Uh, This is someone who's grown up in the church and maybe open to returning, but probably never really had a robust faith to begin with. And so when they got out of college or high school, left campus ministry, started working, they just never really went back to church. And then you got people of color, black people, Asian people, Latino people, uh, so many people of color, uh, especially here in our country, leaving the church. And that's no surprise because there are many areas in our country where uh, when you say you're a Christian, it means that you got to be down with things like Christian nationalism, right? And then you also have mainline Protestants and Catholics. And what I found encouraging and maybe even challenging is that outside of the first category, the evangelical, the one that angrily left the church, people in most of the other de-church groups are actually very open to coming back to the church and to the faith if, if someone were to invite them, if they were to have a friend. So how many friends do you have from some of these groups? How many non-Christian friends, real friends, do you have? The one thing Jesus told the church to do before ascending to heaven, his last mission was to go and make disciples of all the nations. And there's lots of ways to do this and live this out, you know, whether it's through teachings and discipleships or missions, um, through giving financially, doing justice and mercy, life on life, planting churches. But I think one relevant, practical, and surprisingly fulfilling way that you can do this um, that if you're here, that you can actually do missions, you don't have to go across um, uh, uh, the country is through friendships, through building friends, 
building friends with non-Christians through doing this, that God invites you to be a part of doing, to be a part of what he's already been doing. He's been doing it since the time of Jesus, and he's doing it now. He's been, uh, wants to spend time with the outcasts, share meals with the tax collectors and prostitutes, that just as we're saying, Jesus was the friend of the broken, a friend to sinners, because God wants to reach people. And what we see is that he's going to get it done. He is going to do what he commanded us to do in making disciples of all the nations. He's going to reach and gather his people with or without you, is what we see in Revelation. But wouldn't it be such a shame, wouldn't it be such a pity if you missed out? You know, think about it. If, if someone were to, like, tell you, if you could tell your past self, like, go in the future, come, come back and tell yourself, invest in Amazon before it blows up. Invest in NVIDIA before it blows up. And it was, like, 1,000% sure. How? It'd be stupid not to invest, wouldn't it? And if you didn't invest, when you told yourself to invest, if there's a guaranteed way uh, to know that um, it would blow up, how much FOMO would you have? It'd be crazy, Right? And it's like that with God's kingdom. We know how it's going to end. God's kingdom is going to come, and it's the only thing that will last. Everything else that you build and invest in for yourself, one day, someday, it's going to crumble. And I would even add, it's great to do life and community and fellowship with other Christians. They need that. We need that. I need that. It's, it's what we're called to. But if that's all it is, then you're living in a spiritual ghetto and you're not giving out the grace that God has called you to give out to those who desperately need it. And it'd be a waste. You'd be missing out. And everyone is at a different point in their journey uh, when it comes to friendships um, and the invitation for you, Christ Central, today is that you personally, as followers of Jesus, would commit to taking that next step uh, wherever you are in doing what is so important to Jesus, reaching people by building friendships with them. And so if you don't have any non-Christian friends, the encouragement is go make a friend, find a hobby, meet people. And if you have some non-Christian friends but have never had any real meaningful conversations with them, go eat a meal with them. Invite them over, invite them over to, to have dinner. And as you have conversations, don't worry and stress about having like full gospel presentations ready to share with them. Just share your life with them. And as you um, uh, celebrate the joys and go through the difficulties with them and in your life, um, just share Jesus. Honestly, weave what Jesus means to you in your conversations. Become genuine friends with non-Christians and dream, dream the gospel for them. That's what it means to love people well. You know, I also want to say this. Building friendships is probably the most important thing this church can do to plant another daughter church. And that's because whether you plant another church or not, what you'll be doing is building a kingdom culture where you're growing and living out your faith, where Jesus is pleased because reaching people is so important to God. And so that's the work. Next, the wonder. 
the wonder for church planting. Look at what the multitudes are wearing. White robes. He's saying about it, right? Uh, verse 9 says, They were clothed in white robes, crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God. And then in verse 13, uh, the elders addressed me saying, it says John is saying, Who are these clothed in white robes? And the elder said to me, These are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. And what we see in the Old Testament is the prophet Isaiah tell us um, that all of us have become like one who is unclean, and all our righteous acts are like filthy rags. The prophet Isaiah compares uh, the righteous acts of God's people as filthy rags. Filthy rags is a pretty graphic term uh, in Isaiah. I think about like a a public um, subway bathroom, toilet even, Pretty, pretty, pretty filthy in there. And what it's saying is that even our our most righteous acts, even our best moments, even the best things that we do for God and with God compared to who God is and because of sin in our hearts, is filthy. It's unclean. And so nothing we ever do is really done with pure intention and pure love. Even in our best moments, there's some level of self-righteousness and pride. Even in our best moments, what the Bible says is God is disgusted with your filthy good works. But what's amazing is that Isaiah promises that though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. He points us to the promise that Jesus would fulfill when he went to the cross and shed his blood. And because he did, we're now able to wear the robes of white, the righteousness of Christ. And what this means is that every act, like when you read the Gospels and you see Jesus, every act of obedience that Jesus um, uh, did, he did it for your salvation. He did it for you. And it's his righteousness that we now wear by faith like robes of white. And so the good news is that Jesus not only died for you, he lived for you. And because he did, we get to now be not filthy, but clean and loved and beloved and delighted in because of Jesus. I'm an Enneagram type three. Um, If you don't know, Enneagram is a personality uh, type profile. And type three is the achiever. And um, achievers are driven by things like success and, and really like at the most basic level, um, their fear is being a nobody. Right? They want to matter. And uh, for me personally, that's part of my own brokenness, part of my own journey. Um, and looking back, it turns out it was probably one of the main reasons I wanted to go to places like Japan and Bangladesh. And some of you guys know this. Uh, because mission experts um, rank the Bengali Muslims and the Japanese as number one and two on the list of largest unreached people groups in the world, which means they really need the gospel. And so if I'm being honest, um, I want to go to the hardest and darkest places, not because I want to share the gospel with them, but because deep down, I wanted to matter. It really wasn't compassion for the lost. It was ambition. Pride, a deep need to to fill something empty. 
But God, in his grace, he didn't have me go. And some of you guys know my story. My dad ended up getting cancer. And um, instead, funny enough, God sent two of my friends, my, my very close seminary friends, to go to Bangladesh. Uh, he recently came back this past year and Japan, and he's still there right now. He's been there for, for over 10 years. I used to have lofty uh, ministry goals after seminary. I wanted to go to the hardest places and plant churches. And instead, I came back up uh, to Nova, where I didn't want to be, where I pastored a fledgling EM ministry at my dad's small Korean church. And compared to my friends who went off and uh, did things like go on missions, become pastors, get a PhD, uh, there was a part of me where I felt like my prime ministry years were like, were like wasted. I felt like a nobody. And it took me almost 10 years, part of the time I spent here, for, for it to really sink in that because you know, that was my journey, that my achievements, no matter how gospel-expanding they are, that's not why God loves me. And it's not why God loves you. And a lot of us, we try so hard, try so hard to wash our own robes, don't we? And deep down, um, some of us are frightened of being nobodies. We want to matter. And so we try to find the brightest, whitest robe that we can find to cover our fears and, and our shame, to matter. Maybe it's through ministry, but most likely living here in, in D.C., probably it's your careers, right? Your, your title, the company on your resume, your, your job, uh, your, your salary, your promotion, whatever it might be. Maybe it's getting married and getting the nice house and then upgrading to an even better house. It's making your parents proud, it's security. Like, we're not trying to become famous or, or crazy successful in Hollywood. We don't, we're here in D.C. We, 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 for us to make it, right, it, it means being safe and secure and being set, being able to pass things down to our kids. But to God, none of these things, none of these things are why God loves you. The gospel says... We don't need to do a single thing, a single thing to make our robes white. We don't have to achieve anything. We don't have to achieve anything to make God proud of you. And if you're here and you feel far from God, if you're here and you don't remember the last thing you really did for God, what God is telling you here today is don't worry. I got you. I love you. You're delighted and I'm proud of you. Son, daughter, you're clothed in the white robe of Christ. And when this gospel truth goes deeply down, it fills you, not with obligation or guilt or a deep need to matter, but wonder. It fills you with wonder to do things like you know, make friendships with coworkers and neighbors for the sake of the gospel. To do things like go on, on the hill and do missions among politicians. To give to the work of missions or maybe even be a part of planting a future church. Because when the gospel goes in, you can't help, you can't help but to give it out. The work, the wonder. Lastly, we see the worth. John's vision in our passage ends with a picture of all the saints gathered around the Savior's throne, and we see the presence of God, God's presence. Um, our passage says that they serve him, 
day and night in the temple. And the word serve, it's got an Old Testament connection to the way priests, a special class of people that serve God in the temple, uh, serve God. But here, it's not just the priests serving God. It's everyone serving God. That because of Jesus, we now have direct access to God himself and his presence. We see God's presence. We also see paradise. They shall hunger no more, neither shall they thirst, and God will wipe away every tear from their eye. What a beautiful picture. Like a father gently wiping away the tears of his children. You know, I was thinking like, man, why are people crying in heaven? It's kind of a weird image that you see. Why, why would there be tears in heaven that God would have to wipe away? And there's probably a theological way to interpret this, but I was thinking, man, are, are they crying because of, like, regret or guilt of not living a missional enough life or not having done enough, uh, not having been a part of a church plant, uh, more for missions, more in sharing the gospel? No. These aren't, these aren't tears of anguish and regret and sorrow. These are like the tears of a child who was like lost and all of a sudden they find and see their parent and they go from sorrow to delight. You know, you know the feeling. You've seen kids do that before, right? From sorrow to delight. That when we finally see God and what he has in store for us in the next life, that there's going to be such a thrilling relief and uncontrollable tears will fall down. No one's going to be sick, sorry, or hungry. We're not going to struggle with things like anxiety and anger and depression. There's going to be no abuse, no abuse, no corruption, no disease, no death. There won't be any prisons. Think about that. No prisons, no hospitals, no funeral homes and cemeteries, no war zones in the new heavens and the new earth because we'll be with the Savior, the one who pursues us every time we leave, who sees us in our worst moments and never turns away, that he loves us and cheers for us, that this is a kingdom that'll make everything worth it. You know, one thing I've become convinced of this past year is that what makes um, church planting worth all the time and energy and, and even money um, isn't just building a great church, right? That, that's not the goal. Because um, as a church planter, and a lot of church planters feel this kind of pressure, I'm sure pastors do too, where like the unspoken goal of, of doing ministry is like to make the church bigger and better, right? And, and so when you grow and more people come in, you got to get a bigger space so that more people can come into the church so that you can grow bigger and better. And, and so as the church grows, if you're really ambitious, what you do is you plant a church, maybe two churches, right? And over and over again. And not that there's anything inherently wrong with that. But what if it looked different? What if the vision wasn't just to grow bigger and better churches? What if we didn't see church mainly as a place to go and listen to good sermons? And if I'm not listening to good sermons, I'm going to find another church to listen to better sermons and with better children's ministry or a church that um, doesn't disagree with me on certain particular issues. What if the vision really was what we pray for in the Lord's Prayer, for God's kingdom to come on earth in Centerville, 
in Tyson's in Northern Virginia as it is in heaven. What if the vision really was to reach an entire city with the gospel? What would church look like then? And if that really is the goal, um, not one single church can do it, uh, can it? You need a diversity of churches with many different types of Christians and partnerships, black churches, Asian churches, multi-ethnic churches, charismatic churches, flagship churches, house churches. Um, some churches, what this means is will stay small, right? And they're going to maybe reach a pocket of a community, and other churches will grow. And yes, it's important to gather on Sundays, but what if the vision was to send people out? to their workplaces, to happy hours, to their kids' sporting events, or even as people move to other cities, that it, we wouldn't feel like we're losing people, but we're actually sending people out as missionaries. You know, the church in the first century wasn't known as a place that you went to or an organization that you were part of. The church was simply all the Christians in an entire city. And so because not one single church can reach all of Metro D.C., we need all kinds of churches, and we need to, we need to partner uh, with other churches to serve NOVA. We need to partner with school systems and, and the local government and other organizations, businesses, restaurants, even non-Christians, right, to, to really serve our area, to plant, to plant more churches, to bring the shalom of God's kingdom here to NOVA. What if the vision really was to reach and renew Metro D.C.? with the gospel. That's your mission statement. You know, the door of every church will one day close. There's no church that stays relevant, that stays open forever. Every church will close. Every local church will one day shut down. But how amazing is it that the doors of the kingdom will never close? You know, there's a pastor I heard about in Denver, and I shared this during our membership class because I really wanted to shape how we see life and ministry. Uh, so there's a pastor out in Denver, and um, he asked one of his members this question. He said, Dan, if time and money were of no issue to you, if there's no constraints, what would you want to do for the kingdom of God? And so Dan said, huh, I've never been asked this question before. And he started thinking, and what do I like doing? Um, I love hiking. I, I love hiking, but how can God use hiking? How can God use hiking? Wow. How can God use my passions? Amazing. And well, it turned out that in downtown Denver, there were a bunch of low-income inner-city kids, and they've never been up to the Rockies because in order to go up there, you need things like money. And, um, and so what ended up happening was that what ended up starting out as a small ministry uh, the church partnered with this man to start a nonprofit leading inner city kids to, uh, to the Rockies, who've never been to the Rockies, to be able to go to the Rockies. If Dan was never asked this question, um, he would have probably served at one of the existing ministries in the church, right? CG leader, worship team, welcome, and, and that'd be great, right? Um, but he would have never been able to create this amazing ministry showing inner city kids the wonder of God's creation. The kingdom of God is so much bigger than any one church. But as a church, we exist to show God's kingdom to the people here and the rest of Northern Virginia. This really is the great hope of the gospel. 
This is why everything we do in this life for Jesus will be worth it. As we build and give our lives for something much bigger than our own lives, or even our own churches, our own health, our vacations, our wealth. Um, for the young parents here, even your children, your precious, precious children will one day leave you. But for the sake of the kingdom, reaching people, planting churches, serving and loving our cities, we do it knowing that in the end, nothing will have been wasted. It'll all, it'll all be worth it. You know, I, I love that we planted Christ Central Tysons together. It seems like a blur. It seems like a blur. It doesn't seem like real life, right? But your prayers, uh, your support, your giving, um, it's been amazing because I really do believe Metro DC needs more churches. And I really do believe that you, CCPC, needs to plant more churches. More churches that will make more disciples to engage and serve Nova to do justice and mercy, to embed faith into all different spaces of work, and to seek the flourishing of Northern Virginia. Because when this happens, when this happens, more of Nova experiences a preview of the kingdom to come, a kingdom where there will be no more hunger, no more sorrow or thirst, that every nation will be in the presence of the Savior. So Christ Central, would you be the kind of church that dreams the gospel for Centerville, Northern Virginia, and the world. Amen. Let's pray. Got to know that um, there's a haze that we see in life as we... Um, a parent, young family, as we do the grind of work here in Nova, as we worry about health and money that um, so easy, it's so easy to lose sight. But I pray that you would help make the gospel and the hope of the gospel so clear and so bright uh, that it would enchant us to invite us to a story so much bigger than our own selves and our own lives. Would you help us to see a kingdom that's coming? Would you help us to see an invitation to be a part of that work right where we are? Help us to see the people around us the way you see them and the way you see us. Help grace go deep in so that we can give it out. Amen. Church, it's all eyes as we respond.